This episode is very graphic, and is not intended for anyone under 18 years of age. Please be advised of your surroundings if not wearing headphones. Listener discretion is highly advised. This podcast is sponsored by O's. O's is a premium disposable flavored vape. It comes in 12 delicious flavors and all ingredients are made in the United States. I'm personally in love with the lemon tart. It's practically always in my hand. If you vape and have not tried O's yet, you can head on over to letsoze.com. That's L-E-T-S-O-Z-E.com. You can order now and use my promo code HARMONY and get 30% off your order. Again, that's O's.com, promo code HARMONY. This episode is sponsored by Doom and Groom. Doom and Groom are a craft hair, skin, beard, and tattoo care company based in Denver, Colorado. Their oils, balms, butters, and pomades are great for use from head to toe, keeping your hair and skin healthy and hydrated. All of their products are unisex, dye-free, chemical-free, plastic-free, and organic. Head on over to doomandgroom.net and use my code HARMONYDOOM for 10% off your purchase. Once again, that is doomandgroom.net, promo code HARMONYDOOM. This week's episode is so bizarre. I'm going to tell you guys about two different cases that have the exact same outcome. However, they are years apart and completely unrelated. However, before we can get started with this week's episode, I want to say hey to our first-time listeners. Hey guys, what's up? My name is Harmony and I'm your host on this podcast. If you're interested in true crime, conspiracies, hauntings, and so much more, hence the name What the Actual Left, because you never know what you're going to get. Guess I should have named it a box of chocolates. I'll see myself out. But if you're still here and you want to be friends, you and I should go ahead and create our very own secret handshake. All you got to do is hit the follow button wherever you're listening to this podcast. Once you do that, not only have we just become best friends and created our very own secret handshake, you are officially added to the Christmas card mailing list. Every December, you will receive a 75-foot card of my corgi and I in our ugly Christmas sweaters. I hope your mailboxes are prepared. Alright guys, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Or listen to it. I don't know how much enjoyment you're going to get out of this because these are disturbing. It's time to discuss the boys in the chimney. bear with me because this episode is gonna be fucking weird because these two cases completely different have the exact same outcome our first case is that of joshua maddox in may of 2018 18 year old joshua maddox said goodbye to his sister and stepped out of his house to take a walk this was nothing unusual for josh he loved nature he was very free-spirited and just loved to be outside so him taking a nice little walk is completely normal However, what is not normal is the fact that Josh never came home. Josh would stay missing for seven years. And then in 2015, less than a mile away from Josh's home, Chuck Murphy was demolishing his old wooden cabin to make way for some property development. The cabin hadn't been used in years. It was old, rotted, dank, and dark. Time for it to go. As they're demolishing, they make their way to the chimney. This is when they find a horrifying discovery. Inside the brickwork was the mummified body of Joshua Maddox. So what happened to Josh? Let's go ahead and run through this case and maybe we can figure it out together. 
New information tonight about a body found in the chimney of an abandoned cabin in Woodland Park. The coroner's office confirms it is a man who disappeared seven years ago. Construction crews found the remains of Joshua Maddox in the chimney as they were preparing to demolish it. Investigators say Maddox may have been trying to shimmy down that chimney and got stuck. Joshua was 18 when he disappeared. His family is devastated by the news but grateful for closure. I am relieved that we finally are able to give him a proper, proper burial and um, because that's what he deserves. The death has been ruled an accident. Joshua Maddox lived in Teller County, Colorado in Woodland Park. He stood around six foot tall and 150 pounds. Many would say that Josh was a free spirit, a creative mind, and a carefree attitude followed him everywhere. He loved music, he loved to write, and he even played guitar. In fact, he spent most of his time playing music or writing. His academics weren't bad either. He was said to be a very good student, extremely well-liked, and very well-known. Joshua had a pretty good home life. His mother and father were divorced, and he lived with his father, Mike, and two sisters, Kate and Ruth. This brings us to May 8, 2008. Josh left his house telling his sister, Kate, that he was going to go for a walk. Now, Kate didn't think this was unusual at all because Josh was known to go hiking all on his own often. So a little walk wasn't anything. Kate said goodbye and Josh stepped out. However, when he failed to return that evening, worry started to settle in a little bit. At first, this worry was just a small nagging, not really anything to make them stay up at night. A few days later, on May 13th, when Josh still had not returned, his father finally had had enough and was extremely worried. He called the police and let them know he believed his son was missing. In a statement from his father, I got up one morning and Josh was there. Then he just never came home. The next day, he still didn't come home. I called his friends and nobody had seen him. Nobody knew where he was. The search for Josh started immediately. They scoured everywhere. Every neighborhood, including his and the surrounding and all the Woodland Park area. The search lasted for days, and then days grew into weeks, weeks grew into months, and months grew into years. Kate, Josh's sister, had hope that there was a possibility that maybe Josh's free spirit and love for music and writing had him have the urge to just run away and start a new life. You know, start his very own band and maybe be on tour somewhere, seeing the world and creating music. In a post that Kate wrote online, she stated, since Josh was 18, it has been reasonable to assume he may have decided to leave town to start a new life. As one of his two older sisters, I have always chose to believe that this was the case. I have expected Josh to return home to my father's house at any time with a wife and small children so that they can meet their grandparents and two aunts. Josh has always been known for musical and literary talent, so maybe we would find him playing music with a band on tour somewhere or even catch him writing successful novels under a pen name so that he could keep his preferred lifestyle of solitude in the woods. Nobody really believed that Josh could have gotten in any trouble. Another thing is nobody was really concerned that maybe Josh's mental health was on the fritz and maybe he was having an episode and didn't know what was going on, he was lost somewhere. Nobody believed that because Josh didn't seem to have any mental episodes, illnesses, or issues going on. Although about two years prior to Josh disappearing, on June 1st, 2006, a week before high school graduation, Josh's older brother, Zachary, had committed suicide. Mike, Josh's brother, has addressed this and how it actually affected Josh. 
I buried Zachary two years before and it was so difficult on Josh. When his brother died, it pushed him over the edge. It was a big shock for the family and a big shock for Josh. He thought so highly of his older brother. Now, many of us can agree if a sibling or a family member takes their life, it's absolutely going to hit you. Even though this was an extremely difficult period in time for Josh and his family, it didn't seem to really pull him down for too long because Josh was happy around the time he disappeared. He didn't seem to still be held down in pain from the passing of his brother. He seemed to be kind of moving forward with life and altogether happy. The police didn't also suspect any criminal activity, so they listed him just as a simple missing person. The searches continued and continued. His case remained open with no clues to what happened. Now, Josh's family did end up moving away from their home, but Mike kept ownership of the home just in case his son decided to come waltzing in one day. This way, he would always have the home to come back to. Josh's family never let go of any hope that Josh would return. That was until 2015, when a local builder by the name of Chuck Murphy made a very, very dark discovery. Chuck Murphy was a builder from nearby Colorado Springs and was demolishing his old wooden cabin. This cabin sat on a large patch of land surrounded by tall pine trees. According to Chuck, this particular cabin had not been used in about 10 years. You can imagine if a building is not used in 10 years, the extreme disarray and disrepair it will be in. This cabin was no different. It was rotted and just crumbling at the seams. Finally, Chuck made the decision it was time to tear down the building to make way for new property development. In August of that year, Chuck began to tear down the cabin. Chuck originally purchased the cabin in the 1950s. The cabin was formerly known as Homestead of Thunderhead Ranch. This was a locally infamous drinking and gambling complex. Originally, it was owned by Big Bert Bergstrom's. Big Bert came to America from Sweden in 1912 and ran the Thunderhead Inn as a drinking and dining establishment. The Thunderhead Inn was around until about the end of Prohibition. Now, Big Bert had some side little hustles as he turned this into a illegal gambling den as well. It was also rumored to offer a few ladies of the night. You should go there for a good time. You get drinks, gambling, and your dicks up. <clears throat> I'm so sorry about that. It won't happen again. Eventually, though, due to his extracurricular activities, he was arrested by the FBI. However, even with everything, Big Bert eventually found himself not guilty. Now let's fast forward back to Chuck Murphy and his time with the cabin. Chuck's brother had lived in the cabin until around 2005. However, ever since he moved out, it had just become some sort of storage facility. Somewhere that Chuck could just throw things and forget about them. In fact, Chuck rarely even visited the cabin. He stated that animals had become quite a problem. Animals would be found inside dead, causing an unbearable stench throughout the house. This brings us back to the day of the demolition. As they are dismantling the chimney, they reach the interior. This is when they discover the mummified body of a young man. The body is cramped tightly in a fetal position with its legs up above its head. Chuck immediately called the police who arrived with the county coroner. The body was eventually discovered to be Joshua Maddox through the use of dental records. This log cabin was less than a mile away from the Maddox family home. 
So how was Josh never discovered, especially when the search continued for years and they supposedly looked everywhere? Joshua's family was shocked when they heard the news that Josh had been found, but more so due to the state and where he was. His sister Kate said, the situation doesn't make any sense at all. We were really expecting him to be anywhere else in the world, but he was actually very close. The only thing that we can figure is he is being an 18-year-old kid, checking out a cabin, and it had already been abandoned for a long time, yet a horrible accident happened. Alborn was the Teller County coroner that undertook Josh's autopsy. He stated that there were no evidence of drugs in Josh's system. Alborn had this to say about the autopsy. The hard tissue showed no signs of trauma. There were no broken bones and no knife marks. There were no bullet holes either. There is, so far, no answers to a number of things. It is very confusing. Now this cabin set on a road called Meadow Lake Lane. This was only two blocks away from the Maddox family home, yet the searches had seemed to overlook the building somehow. There had not been any sign of life from this structure, so maybe people assumed nobody would even go in there. I mean, Chuck himself had hardly even gone to the cabin as well, so it's not like this was a very visited and seen place. Now, Chuck does state that when he would go visit the cabin, as he obviously did in the seven years Josh was missing, he never really had any odd occurrences and didn't think anything was out of place. The cabin itself was on a large plot of land offset from the roadside. This was only by about 50 feet. Now, because there weren't really any homes adjacent to this building, police state that if Josh did cry out for help, nobody could hear him. Quote, it was not an instant death. How he died is only a matter of speculation, but we know he did not starve to death because that takes many weeks. So then you go down the chain and you have dehydration, which can take just a few days. And the other thing would have been hypothermia, which could only take a day or two. We have no idea what to say which came first. By September 28, 2015, Al Bourne could not reach a conclusion for a cause of death. This is when he ruled it an accidental death. He believes that Josh climbed down the chimney and became lodged in the brickwork. This is when he concluded the most likely cause of death was due to hypothermia. As we know, Colorado can get a little bit chilly. And around the time that Joshua disappeared, the temperatures could get down to negative 6 Celsius. Which, if you don't know Celsius, that comes out to about 21 degrees Fahrenheit. Needless to say, it was a titbit nipply outside. Now let's talk about some discrepancies in this case, because I don't know about you, but I'm kind of catching a few. And so was Chuck Murphy. Immediately following the ruling, Chuck questioned the coroner's conclusion of accidental death. You see, Al Bourne had stated that Josh's position in the chimney appeared to have been a voluntary act in order to gain access. However, Chuck said, <laughs> that's fucking impossible, my guy. You see, the chimney had been built about 20 years previous, and during its construction, it had been fitted with a steel rebar, which is a large, thick wire mesh that hang hangs from, like, these steel hooks, and it's used to keep animals and debris from becoming lodged inside the chimney or from entering the cabin at all. Kind of like a chimney condom. Chuck even spoke openly about the fact that the rebar was there and that it's completely impossible for Josh or anyone to climb in through the chimney. 
If little baby birds and squirrels can't get in there, then how did Josh? And that's exactly what everyone is wondering. Chuck states, quote, it was a heavy wire grate, a wire mesh. I installed it across the chimney about one row of bricks from the top. We didn't want trouble with raccoons and things getting into the chimney. Now this led to uh, some public back and forth, you know, a little bit of backlash between the builder and the corner. According to Al Bourne, if this rebar or metal grate was actually there, it would have been corroded and probably just not its best shape. In fact, he is quoted as saying, nobody saw this metal mesh. We didn't see it in any of our photos. It just may have disappeared. <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes with police investigations. Shit just happens to disappear and then reappear eventually. However, Alborn also said that during the demolition, all metal work had been collected and stashed into the back of a truck to be taken for scrap. By the way guys, I want to apologize for all the noise you're hearing in the background. It doesn't matter what day I seem to record the podcast, whenever I start recording, all of a sudden, my apartment complex has decided that is the perfect time to tend to the grounds. I swear, it never ends. If I'm ever worried that they're not doing it, I should just start a podcast because immediately I will hear a lawnmower. So per usual, if you guys hear anything, do your best to ignore it and I'll continue to do my best and distract you. Woohoo! Look over here! <sighs> Did that work? Okay, let's get back to the case. I know I'm getting sidetracked. Sorry about that. So according to Al, the whole fact that all of the metalwork had been removed and put in this truck to be taken away must explain why this rebar grate was just not there. In fact, it wasn't anywhere near the chimney. Now, Bourne reopened his case three days after the initial conclusion. It wasn't just this rebar that was causing doubt. You see, there were, in fact, several other pieces of information which failed to make any sense to Chuck Murphy. And this caused doubt to fall on the coroner's report. It's like they had point A and point B. Somehow Josh got from A to B. But the way they were trying to line it up just wasn't making any sense. Let's talk about the inside of the cabin. For some reason, a large wooden breakfast bar had been torn from the wall in the kitchen and dragged over to block the chimney inside the cabin. That's right, a breakfast bar, you know, where you sit down, eat, maybe have some drinks, I don't know, that, a little breakfast bar, had been ripped from its wall and shoved up against the entrance of the fireplace so, you know, just in case, nothing can get into the house. This was most likely the reason that Chuck himself hadn't noticed anything unusual about the chimney in the first place. However, that raises the question, who the fuck ripped that bar from the wall and placed it in front of the chimney? And also, why? Now Josh's body had been found in the fetal position with his legs up above his head. They were disjointed from his torso. He was extremely cramped. Now in order for him to have gotten in any position, he would have had to enter the chimney head first. I don't know about you, but this is a very unusual position to try to like dive into something. Yes, we dive in headfirst into pools, <laughs> but are you gonna dive down a chimney headfirst and just pray you don't knock yourself out or worse, die? So, you know, obviously Al Bourne also believed that this is a very unusual position. He even went on and stated that it would have taken about two people to position him in that way, meaning Josh didn't do it. There's also another question that seemed to linger in Chuck's mind, and this was not of any small detail. 
When Josh's body had been found, he had removed all of his clothing. The only thing that Josh had been wearing at the time was a thin thermal shirt. Yeah, okay, that's definitely unusual, correct? I think so. However, this is not the most unusual part. His clothes had actually been found inside the cabin. And it's not like they were just tossed down, they were folded up neatly right next to the fireplace. The coroner, Al, also remarked about these findings. Quote, this one really taxed our brains. We found his clothing just outside the firebox. He only had on a thermal t-shirt. We don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes and socks off, and why he went outside. He then climbed on the roof and went down the chimney. It was not linear thinking. I mean, it definitely didn't make any sense, but to be fair, the whole thing makes no sense. Now, when Chuck heard what the coroner said, he had a response. There is no way that guy crawled inside that chimney with the steel webbing. He didn't come down the chimney. Chuck Murphy remained convinced that Josh's death had been no accident. In fact, many people believed that Joshua's death was not an accident. Al Bourne even mentioned that several calls were made to both the police and the coroner's office suggesting leads and naming suspects that could have possibly killed Josh. Let's talk about some of those suspects. There was one main suspect, though he has remained unnamed. He has spent time in a Texas jail and previous time in a Seattle and Portland prison. He has a long list of violent criminal behavior. Tips were telling Alborn that he was the killer. You see, apparently, he was the last person to truly see Josh. However, according to Al, he could not place this man at the crime scene. He said, quote, They can't give me times and specifics, and we can't generate that stuff. That goes back seven years. Al also doubted that this suspect could have positioned Josh the way that he was in the chimney. At least, not alone. Even though, according to logistics, Josh could do it himself. <laughs> Makes total sense. But as far as Alborn was concerned, this was the end of that kind of thinking and that suspect. However, it wouldn't really be. For this, we have to take a trip over to Reddit. Now, if you've never heard of Reddit, what Reddit is, is imagine a discussion forum online where people could create posts and the users could give that post an upvote or a downvote, literally an arrow up or an arrow down. And the post with the most upvotes goes up to the top of the page. It was nicknamed the front page of the internet. So the most popular post just moves up by the other users of Reddit, giving it a thumbs up and thumbs down in a way. If you don't know what Reddit is, I suggest you definitely check it out. But be advised, you will become addicted. So as it turns out, there was a post published to Reddit in 2015, and it sounds as though it was written by somebody who called into the coroner with a suspect in mind. That suspect was none other than the unnamed man. This post gave name to this suspect and also led to many new facts in the case. I'm going to run through an abbreviated version of the post so you can kind of get an idea. I went to high school with this skinny, dorky, hippie named Andy who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then went missing. 
Turns out that in addition to becoming a lot scarier looking, Andy had indeed headed down to New Mexico where he found himself shooting the shit with the caretaker of a disabled guy and got invited over to their apartment. Caretaker gets in the shower and when he comes back out, the disabled guy is stabbed to death and Andy's gone. When Andy got arrested, he also claimed that he killed a woman in Teos and stuffed her body in a barrel. The cops had indeed found a woman stuffed in a barrel in Teos, but they already had somebody in custody for it and decided to stick with that guy instead. Years later, I found out that the caretaker had died in a bar fight and without him, the cops didn't have much in the way of evidence somehow. So that case against Andy was dropped too. Several of us went to the cops saying, yo, Josh who went missing was last seen with Andy, who's a murderer, maybe you should check that out. Despite a fair amount of pestering, nothing really came of it, and by nothing, I mean that the police mostly didn't even return our calls. And once accidentally canceled the bulletin on Josh because, quote, he's alive and well living in the next town over. Spoiler alert, he wasn't. He was actually in the chimney of an abandoned cabin like two blocks from his parents' house. The coroner said that the body had been there for about seven years and ruled the death accidental concluding that Josh had probably climbed down the chimney in an attempt to break into the house and gotten stuck, which given the age of the corpse doesn't seem overly ridiculous. Except for the fact that in addition to Josh having last been seen with Andy immediately before his stabbing spree, people called in to report having heard rumors that Andy was bragging about putting Josh in a hole. Somebody had ripped a heavy bar off the wall in the kitchen and propped it up against the fireplace or the fact that Josh's stuff was already inside the cabin, meaning A, he'd already broken in and would have locked himself out to have gone to the chimney, and B, he might have noticed that either the flu or the big bar would have prevented him from getting in through the fireplace, or the fact that when he was found, Josh's knees were above his head. Which sounds to me like he would have had to go in head first. Disclaimer, not an expert at fucking all. Or maybe the fact that Josh was barefoot and naked from the waist down. This is just my opinion, but I don't care who you are. You don't try to climb in headfirst into a chimney via a hole rusted through a metal grate with your dick hanging out. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that made me laugh. But also, facts. I mean, I think. I'm not an expert. I don't personally have a dick. Unless you count the one in my nightstand that vibrates. Alright, back to the post. As far as I can tell, nobody even bothered to call Andy to ask if he knew anything. By the way, from what I hear, Andy's still out there about doing his own thing. He's not even in a mental hospital. All I'm saying is, I wish they had done some police shit. Sir, we always wish that. Open investigation, try to track down some leads, interview some folks who've been calling in tips for the last seven years. I don't know, maybe check for some semen or something? I don't know. Just don't say accidental, dust off your hands and call it a day. And that's a summary of the post. This post grabbed a mass amount of attention. After all, it involved Joshua Maddox, the boy in the chimney. But it also talked about the fact that possibly it wasn't an accident. So let's go ahead and talk about Andy. Red alert, red alert, Andy is coming upstairs. God damn. Here. Who's in my ear? Did you see my ear? Come on, wait, wait. Here I come. Here I come. Oh, 
full name was Andrew Richard Newman. He was arrested on suspicion of a fatal stabbing in New Mexico that went exactly as this Reddit post had described. And during high school, this Andy had played guitar in a band named The Bombers. He was also well-known and seemingly well-liked. On an article about his arrest for the New Mexico stabbing, there were several replies from users who had gone to school with him that described him as, quote, intelligent and a very smart guy. Now, it seems that Andy left the state and started to kind of travel, you know, around the country after graduating high school. He did, however, keep in contact with many of his old friends. This led many to believe that it wasn't a far stretch that Andy and Josh did actually stay in touch and possibly hung out together. They shared similar interests and similar outlooks on life. It does really seem like the police just didn't want to look into any other reason for Joshua's death. So, in conclusion, when it comes to Joshua Maddox's case, everybody is left baffled, confused, and some are pretty angry. The case of Joshua Maddox leaves you completely confused and lost trying to connect the dots that just aren't there. There are some people that think Chuck is lying about the fact that there was a rebar or a grate over the chimney. But why would he lie about something like that? He has no reason to. But what about the other facts? What about the fact that there was something ripped from the wall, a breakfast bar, pressed up against the chimney to stop anything from possibly getting in if it was already in there? What about also the fact that Josh was naked from the waist down, but his clothes were folded neatly next to the fireplace? I'm just saying it makes no sense. So do you stand with the coroner and think that this was just a complete fluke and Josh somehow got into the cabin and then for some reason left, got up on the roof and decided to go that way? Oh, and he did this while he was half naked. Or... Do you think it's possible that somebody was involved? If you want my opinion about Josh's accidental death, here it is. Um, that doesn't make no sense. My man. If you thought one boy being found in a chimney was weird, <laughs> here's another one. This is the disturbing case of Harley Dilly. It is Wednesday, my dudes. Harley Dilly was born on August 12th, 2005. He was also a young YouTuber with about 7,000 subscribers. Now, this number has increased due to the fact that since his passing, more people have found out who he was. It's very common when an influencer or somebody who creates content online passes away, they gain more traction as traffic is sent to their pages. Now, the content that Harley created was what you would expect a 14-year-old boy to create. He would post himself playing video games, talking about games, vlogging, just being a kid. He would also have several live streams on the platform and talk about his life. Now, though his content looks like something that an average 14-year-old would be posting online, if you take a deeper look, it may just be a little darker than you think. What up? It's your boy, Harley Dilly, back at it again today. And today is a special video. I'm actually going to shout out one of my, f two of my favorite YouTubers, because he has two channels, and it's one person. 
and his name is Skylar Cornell. That's his first channel, and his other channel is Skylar2k, but right now it's actually Fortnite Assassin because YouTube's being stupid. So if you could go subscribe to my boy on YouTube, that'd be nice. Um, yeah, new videos coming soon, just comment down below and like the video and one of your video ideas will be picked. Peace. What you hear there sounds like a happy young kid, but the sadness that was actually going on under the surface is truly heartbreaking. And this would all be brought to light in December of 2019. First, a heartbroken mother waiting for her missing son to walk back into her arms. Tonight marks seven days since the disappearance of 14-year-old Harley Dillon. Harley created his YouTube channel on Halloween of 2015. Harley's channel is still up, and if you go check it out, you'll be greeted by video games and, you know, his vlogging and talking about life. Harley would stream himself playing just about any video game that he was into, but mainly Roblox and Madden. Harley began creating his content for the online world at just 10 years old. And like many creators, as you start putting yourself out there for the world to see, you start opening up more to your audience. Harley was no exception. As he started to grow and reach more people, he started to open up. At first, all he really talked about was school and his hobbies. He didn't really get into the very dark side of his life. Harley had a secret. His home life was very grim. Eventually, Harley started to open up more about what was going on at home. I'm just gonna have fun here, because this is my channel. And I don't care what everybody else wants it to be. It's mine, and I get to decide the future for it. And right now, I am proud to admit I'm kind of glad that the Harley Dilly channel was gone. It had a D plus grade. Can we get this channel to at least a C minus when it first launches up on Social Blade? That'd be fire. But until then, boys, this is it. This is the intro to the channel. Thank you for making this a reality. This is incredible. All right, guys, I'll see you tomorrow for the live stream. Peace. Now, as Harley started to share more about his life, he started to share about the fact that him and his mother argued often. So yesterday, well, actually today, my uh, mom and I got into an argument because I didn't want to walk to school because I live like four blocks and it's like 34 degrees. Now, when you watch his videos and where he complains about this stuff, it kind of just seems more like a little kid upset that his mom's making him do things. You know, as a kid does, whatever your parents says, well, you don't want to fucking do it and you don't like it because you're a kid, which means you're obviously right and you know everything. So it didn't really look like there was anything dark and ominous going on in the background. However, just as the wizard would say, <laughs> don't look behind the curtain. Don't mind the man behind the curtain. Because when we take a peek behind the curtain, we see what's really going on. Now, some people believe that Harley just used his YouTube channel as a way for him to escape, you know, leave what was going on. He could vent his frustrations because he's a kid and he's got a lot under the surface. And this was just what he used YouTube for. However, in October of 2018, 
those beliefs quickly went a different way. Harley went onto YouTube and posted a now deleted live stream with the title, I'm Scared. It is Harley Dilly. Probably one of my worst days of my life. My mom wanted me to go with my with her to go get a friend. And I said, I don't want to. I have work to do, so I want to go home. We argued for about a good five minutes. And she snapped. She said she was going to call police, and she said she already did. And she locked me out of the house, so right now I'm outside. Yep, the house is locked. I haven't ate anything, and I still haven't even got to do, get my work done. My mom's gone. She won't answer the phone. I legit was scared. Now, in this video, it is very apparent that Harley is scared. He is holding the phone while looking up at his house. I think he's hoping to see his mother open the door or come home. He's sitting on what appears to be like a swing in the backyard, and he keeps swinging over with the phone to his house to show you that no one's there and he's sitting outside. This is heartbreaking, especially as we move forward and find out what happened to Harley. Now, in this incident, it is freezing outside and Harley is sitting there unable to reach his mother and very afraid. His viewers, for the first time, got a real glimpse of what was going on behind closed doors. Or, I guess locked doors. I'm sorry, bad joke, bad joke, let's continue. Now, this happened about two years before Harley would go missing, so he was about 12 at this time. Now, as a parent, I understand consequences. If a child breaks a rule or argues with you, they're going to have consequences. This does not mean you lock your child out and leave, especially in the cold with no food or water. I don't know why I said especially. You don't fucking do it. That's not what you do. If you want to put them somewhere, you know, because that's your form of punishment, take them to their room and leave them in there. Take all of their fun little devices away and let them sit and think about what they did. Do not ever lock your child out of a house, especially when they're 12. Now, if they're like 40 and they don't want to leave your house, you should change the locks. Now, this situation is already pretty fucked up, but it really begins to raise suspicion when Harley says this. You guys, to, to wish me good luck because the future could hold bad things for me. I don't want to find out what that could mean. Now, hearing this and knowing what Harley is experiencing in that moment, from the live stream, what viewers took is that Harley and his mother have a very toxic relationship. Now, there are people that, of course, will see something like this online, and because of people posting every and anything just to get those sweet, sweet likes, they thought that maybe Harley was overreacting. Maybe this wasn't really what was going on. However, it came out that Harley was telling the truth. In fact, Harley's mother had called the police. She had called them five different times on Harley. And these calls spanned over years. The very first time was when Harley was only 10 years old. Now, hearing the fact that his mother had to call the cops on him five times in the span of a few years, and then hearing that he got in an argument with her, you might think, all right, so, Harley is probably the one who's being disobedient and bad, right? Like, that seems more logical. That is not the reality, sadly. Harley had recently been diagnosed with a mental illness. He had ADHD and high-functioning autism. 
Now, when you combine ADHD and high-functioning autism, it will explain exactly why Harley had sudden outbursts and was very argumentative. To be simple, it was out of his control, at least not with the proper help and treatment. Now, these outbursts, though completely normal with somebody who has these conditions, are probably what would lead to or cause many of these arguments that him and his mother would get into. Again, I'm just going to state something as a parent, as a grown-ass woman. <laughs> Don't argue with your child. Just walk away, let them sit there and argue with themselves, and then eventually y'all can talk it out. There is no need to argue with your child. What you say is law. Now, also, please don't hurt your child or use that to any extent to excuse your shitty behavior. All I'm saying is if you tell your child no or you tell them to do something and they want to argue, walk away. Now, adding in Harley's age and his mental illness, he probably didn't even understand that he was doing something wrong. In these situations, it is the parent's responsibility to de-escalate the situation, to help your child, to try to get them to see right from wrong. And that means with a mental illness, if you cannot do it yourself, get help. That's why there are professionals. It is our job as parents to help our children, to aid them in growth, not weigh them down. Well, sadly, as we know, Harley's mother didn't know how to handle him. And instead of trying to de-escalate or help him in any way, shape, or form, act like an adult, she would simply fuel the fire and punish him. Now, let's talk about Harley's outburst again. His outbursts were never violent or even got physical, at least not according to any reports or evidence. They were more just like a normal behavioral issue, like he didn't understand sometimes, or maybe he was questioning something, or just frankly, maybe his inner monologue told him to say something, and because he didn't have that filter, it came out and his mother didn't like it. Instead of sitting and talking with him and letting him know that this is not how you do things, she would punish him. Combine that with his age, and Harley did not understand. But his grown-ass mother damn sure did. Now. <laughs> His mother isn't the only toxic person in this household. Marcus Dilly, Harley's father, seemed to have a toxic relationship with Harley as well. In a video on Harley's YouTube, you can hear his father interrupt as he is screaming and yelling at Harley's mother and younger sibling. This younger sibling, by the way, is only four years old. His father lost his mind because this four-year-old spilt their drink. As Harley continues to create content, more disturbances seem to pop up. However, Harley ended up making a new channel, which meant this content went under the radar. What's up, boys? It's your boy, Harley Dilly. Back at it like a crack addict. And today, oh boy, the depression is over. The channel is... It's a channel. 
Now this channel was much like his first channel. He played video games and talked about his life. This brings us to December 10th, 2019. On this day, Harley posted a typical Madden video. This video would be the darkest video that Harley would ever post because this would be his last. This brings us to one week after the video is posted. It is December 19th, 2019, and Harley wakes up and he's not feeling so well. So like most kids, he goes to his mom, lets her know, I don't feel good. Is there any way that I can just not go to school today? And of course, I bet you can guess his mother's answer. <laughs> she told him, no, go get ready. You're going to school. I'm sorry. Her exact quote was, get your ass to school. So Harley did just that. He left and headed to school. Except he never made it. In a strange twist of events, when the school alerts Harley's parents that he did not arrive at school today, they didn't seem to care. They did absolutely nothing when they found out that Harley was not at school. No alarm bells, not even a care, not even a worry. To them, it was more like, ah, I got 99 problems, but Harley ain't one. They still didn't worry when Harley didn't even return home. It wasn't until the next morning. Yeah, did you hear that? The next morning. I bet you every single parent that's listening to this right now, their asshole is puckering. No fucking way is a parent gonna wait for their 14-year-old child to not come home all night until they're all of a sudden like, huh, something seems a little odd around here. It's a little too quiet. <sighs> I really hate people. Oh, did I mention that it was freezing outside? So they waited for a freezing, ice-cold night to blow on through before they wondered, where is our child? At around 24 hours since Harley had last been seen, they finally called the police and reported him missing. So, you know, they did like the bare minimum as being parents. And wouldn't you know, his mother decided to go ahead and play sad and took to Facebook crying and begging for anyone. Please help find my son. <laughs> yeah. Find me. You all want to see what I look like when I'm not taking my meds to help. You want to know what it's like to have a son missing. <laughs> it hurts. It makes you feel like you can't go on. But you have to go on. You don't understand. You seriously don't know what it feels like. Stop bashing my family. Harley, please come home. Please. <laughs> 
Because he is innocent. You guys can judge us when he comes home, but until then, you fucking let him be. You let him be. You just hurt. Please pray for us. I've never prayed so hard in my life. I don't believe that he was a runaway. I'm going to say it. I don't care. He is not a runaway. This is not like him. He does not do this stuff. He is a mama's boy. He has a routine. Now, this video has since been deleted. But I pulled a few strings, and there you go. I found it for you. It was real, real hard. I had to I had to make some deals with some people. I saw some unfortunate souls. <clears throat> I had to go to YouTube and just search. It wasn't that hard. Also, if you do come across that video, let me know. Do you agree? Does she look like Ursula? Because <laughs> I think so. Also, if you do check it out, it's definitely filmed on a potato. So, fair warning. The search for Harley continue going from days to weeks and still no answer as to what happened to Harley. We're digging more into the final report recently released by the BCI regarding the disappearance and death of 14-year-old Harley Dilly. Tonight we're learning from Dilly's mother who reported him missing back in December. As Amanda Fay reports, she told agents she had a feeling something happened to her son. This isn't him. He should have already had multiple baths. He eats certain colors. You know, he has sensory processing. He he loves his hot fries. He loves his pizzas. He And it's got to be bacon pepperoni. He loves his chicken patty, certain kind of chicken patty. I mean, this isn't his nature at all. A concerned Heather Dilley in an interview with the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation on December 26th, six days after her 14-year-old son Harley was last seen. In the more than 90-minute interview, Heather describes her son's routine, saying he had Asperger's and sensory processing disorder, among other conditions. She said he'd had some behavioral problems at school, but things had been okay leading up to his disappearance. Everything was fine. He, he wasn't yelling at me. He was getting along with his brother. He wasn't short with us. There, just nothing that happened with me, you know, that I could say that would even indicate. She did say Harley didn't want to go to school that morning, but she told him he had to. In the interview, Heather discusses her son's typical behavior, which involved routines, and she said she couldn't figure out why he would leave. The routines, I keep going back to the routines. It's not him. Even if he gets mad at me, or his dad, or his brother, or, you know, anything, school, he will sit there and he will literally just go away, calm down, and come back. He, he, it's just his nature. She told detectives since he had been gone longer than normal, she feared something happened to her son, calling him opinionated and would sometimes argue with people. Me, as a mom, this is starting to get too real. Okay. This isn't him. Harley would later be found dead in the chimney of the home across the street on January 13th. Now, due to the severity of the case, this is a young boy missing, no signs. They find no clues of what happened to him. This case hit national headlines, which meant people found Harley's YouTube. And that means the I'm Scared live stream. This is a very serious moment. I'm not even going to ask for likes and subscribes. I just want you guys to, to wish me good luck because the future could hold bad things for me. 
Now that live stream is a lot more ominous. This video caused so many people to look at Harley's parents in a different light. They were no longer parents that were mourning the missing boy. They were now suspicion. People started to believe that Harley's parents may have been involved with his disappearance. After people found his channel and began watching all of his videos and seeing what Harley experienced, many people believed that Harley was being neglected by his parents and living in an abusive household. And it seems that they could be correct as the evidence is right there in Harley's videos. Now let's couple that with the fact that they waited 24 hours to report their 14-year-old child with autism and ADHD missing on a freezing cold night nonetheless. God damn it, I'm sorry, I really hate bad parents. More people, however, thought that Harley may have just ran away to get away from his home life. But it doesn't matter what anyone believed. Harley was still missing and nobody knew where he was. This brings us to January 13th, 2020. Months before the coronavirus would shutter us all in our homes, a horrible story made headlines. It's not the outcome we wanted. The family has closure. With local, state, and federal officials standing behind him, Port Clinton Police Chief Robert Hickman confirmed that the body of 14-year-old Harley Dilley was found in a house on Fulton Street Monday evening. Harley's coat, glasses, were discovered on the second floor of the house next to a brick chimney. We were then able to discover what we believed to be Harley, who was caught in the chimney. The chief said the teen's death appears to be accidental. It appears that Harley climbed an antenna tower to the roof and entered the chimney. The chief said the teen got trapped in the chimney. He added that Monday was the first day law enforcement searched inside the unoccupied house that is across the street from Harley's home. We noticed the house, everything was secured. We had no reason to believe anybody was in the house. Signs are still up at Harley's home. Family members have been searching for the 14-year-old boy since he went missing last month. Family members and many who searched for the teen are heartbroken by the news. We were out here in rain going through the woods looking for him. The chief says it's hard for him to imagine the heartache and grief Harley's family is going through. What would your state state of mind be if you lost your 14-year-old? I, I can't put words into that. Can you? That is absolutely tragic. Honestly, all said aside, even though his parents don't seem to be the best at what they should be doing for, you know, parents' sake, my heart is with them because that I can't. I don't even want to think about that kind of thing that it just it makes me literally want to cry so parent to parent i genuinely send my love to you if you ever hear this as respect for harley because i cannot imagine that heartbreak with that being said though i do not agree with your parental skills or what you did to your kids that's all but that doesn't mean that as a parent i also can't send you some respect and love for the fact that you have lost a child now, on that morning in January, the police decided to check out a vacant home that is across the street from Harley's. This home wasn't occupied because the owners used it as their summer house. Hey guys, What's welcome up? to the summer house. Totally not envious because I live in the same house all the time. But I feel like most people do, so let's move along. 
So while they're searching this house, they realize there's clothing that looks out of place. They found Harley's shoes, jacket, sweatpants, and one sock. <laughs> That's weird. That sounds like another case. I don't know about some, some kid that was found in a chimney and his clothes were right by it. I don't know. That's weird. It's like it's bringing up some flashbacks or something. Now, his stuff was not folded all neatly like Josh's were. His glasses also were on the floor as well. So they were just kind of there. Now, because of this discovery, they were absolutely positive that Harley had been in this house. But he wasn't there currently, it seemed. That's when they decided, have we actually checked everywhere? Hmm. And they took a look inside the chimney. This is when they found Harley's decomposing body stuck and lodged in the tight, narrow space of the chimney. Because of this tight enclosure and the way that Harley was lodged in, the coroner's report stated that he died of what is known as compressive, uh, words harmony, uh, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I gotta say this correctly, compressive asphyxiation, oh my lord, compressive asphyxiation, you know what? You guys can look it up yourselves because I don't like this word, it's a bully. Compressive asphyxia? I thought I could sneak up on it. You know what? I can't. Let's just move along. I can tell you what the term actually means, however. This is caused by breathing being impaired by external pressure, which obviously he was in a very, very tight place. But seriously, Google that and try to say it. It's not easy. Now let's talk about what the police say happened. So according to police, Harley ran away and tried to get into this, what he knew, vacant home. However, when he tried the doors and the windows, it, well, was locked like most people, you know, locking their doors. It was 2020 and we found out just how shitty the world really is. Or like most of us already knew, it just got put more into light. So without having a way for him to get in on the ground floor, he had to go up. Well, wouldn't you know, right next to the house was a giant telephone pole. It wasn't like your normal telephone pole that's wooden or anything and like you see those people having to use like ropes and stuff to get up. No, this one had a ladder. Well, like looking kind of like steps of a ladder. Okay, you could climb it basically. So police say that Harley saw this and was like, that's my ticket. And he decided to climb up these like step ladder things on this telephone pole and gets to the roof and goes, oh, look at that, it's a chimney. So Harley decides to go ahead and try to shimmy his way into the house through the chimney. However, this chimney was only nine by 13 inches. By the way, that's fucking tiny. Even if you are 14 years old, that is small as shit. Police say that Harley had just enough room to remove his clothing because uh, apparently, like, you know, I don't know. I don't know a lot of chimney-related deaths. Maybe you guys do, but I only know of this one and Joshua Maddox. But apparently, it's completely normal when you enter a chimney as you're shimming your way down to just strip off your clothes. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna act like that's true. Anyways, this chimney had what is known as a smoke shelf, which, if you're looking down at the chimney, may actually look as though it appears to be the bottom of the chimney. But it's not. It's a little sneaky. Instead, it creates a bend in the chimney, and that is actually the way to the bottom. By the way, on a serious note, uh, they state that Harley taking his clothes off happened so that he could give himself a little bit more wiggle room to get through the area. 
However, whatever reason his clothes ended up off of him, it didn't give him any extra room, though not at least the room that he would need to get through this tiny 9 by 13 opening. And then, you know, add that smoke shelf. It's just, it's not happening. So without any room to move and his clothes no longer on him, Harley is stuck in the winter air. The heartbreaking thing is the moment that Harley got into that chimney, he had no hope for survival. The home was empty. Nobody was around to hear him if he did scream. He sat there and slowly froze and suffocated to death. In what I can only imagine as some of the most terrifying last hours of anyone's life. This is a heartbreaking and tragic conclusion to this young boy's life. Now, many people still blame the parents. Many even believe that they're involved somehow with Harley's death and how he ended up inside that chimney. It wasn't just his YouTube channel that made people believe that the parents may not be as innocent as they're trying to come off. No, no, no. You see, while Harley was currently missing, his father took out a life insurance policy on Harley. What? The fucking f- I swear to God, I swear to God. You know, guys, I'm gonna end up having an actual aneurysm because when I find out about these kinds of people, I just I wanna go, I just wanna be alone with them for a few minutes. I wanna figure out what makes them tick and then like give them a hug around the throat with my hands. Okay, before you judge me about what I just said, let me tell you what Marcus did about this life insurance policy. He went around to his friends and bragged. Yeah, he told them about how much money he would get if Harley just happened to die. Huh. I guess my idea of giving him a hug around the throat with my hand isn't so bad, is it? <laughs> I bet you want to join in. We can make it a group hug! Oh, by the way, uh, he did this and started talking about it only a week after Harley went missing. This does not look suspicious. This, by the way, if you're, if you're not doing the math, was only two weeks roughly before Harley would be found in the chimney. Also, again, right across the house from where Marcus lived. So just gonna leave that there. Now, Marcus has been asked about his relationship with his son, and this is what he had to say. Our relationship was strained. We know each other, and there's a relationship there. He knows I'm his dad, and he is my son but the relationship is rocky. Huh. I have never in my 34 years of living ever heard a father describe their relationship with their son like that. I'm not saying that there are not rough relationships between parents out there. I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm just saying I've never heard it described like that. Well, <laughs> there you have it. That is the Harley Dilly case. All right, guys, so there are two cases that I genuinely find baffling, intriguing, and really confusing. These are two different kids, basically. Well, Harley is a kid, and Joshua was basically still a child. If compared to me, that boy is running around in diapers. But it's baffling to me that two young kids are found deceased in chimneys just, you know, a mere three weeks and seven years after they go missing. I don't know why I said mere seven years is not mere. That, that's quite some time. But you gotta admit, it's pretty fucking strange. And adding into it the fact that both of them had their clothes not on their bodies, you know, where they should be, especially since they were alone. I don't know. It just, it doesn't add up and it doesn't feel right. 
As usual, I would love to know what you guys think of these cases, so you can send me an email or you can send me a DM. That's right, I am telling you to slide into my DMs. Just don't make it weird. Tell me about cases that you want me to look into, tell me about conspiracies, tell me about your day, and tell me what you think of these two cases. My email is whattheactualeffharmony at gmail.com or if DMs really are your thing, you can send me a message on TikTok and Instagram at ohheyitsharmony. Alright guys, I hope I didn't ruin your day too much. I know a very, very dark podcast today, but I still love you. Thank you for sticking around and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Love you later. Bye.